What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Boots to Balls, a brand new sports show right here on the Boot Sports Network. I am David Storm, the PA announcer, game day host for the New Orleans Saints. Joining me this and every week, my broadcast partner, Donald. I am your favorite LSU superfan who has now taken to the mic to once again claim sports talk media for the fans, by the fans, and the occasional sports degenerate better. Welcome to Boots to Balls. We're going to cover everything Louisiana like it isn't done on any other network. And we hope that you tune in every week here on the Boot Sports Network. Now, I got to tell you, of all the weeks to start a brand new Louisiana sports-centered sports show, could you have picked a better time than right off the heels of the Saints preseason opener against the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. That's, we're going to jump right into it and get things started with that. Here's a quick recap for those of you who didn't miss the game. If you got it on the DVR, turn the volume down for a second because I'm going to spoil it for you. Derek Carr and the offense, they won the toss. They elected to receive. Not a thing that usually happens from Coach Dennis Allen. After a penalty on the opening kickoff, the Saints would drive 80 yards in 12 plays, just under five and a half minutes, would cap the drive with Derek Carr throwing his first touchdown as a New Orleans Saint. It was a four-yard dime to Keith Kirkwood, and that was all we would see of Derek Carr. The Saints' D would hold on the ensuing drive. The offense would take over on downs. Jameis comes on out. There's been a lot of talk about Jameis in the offseason. Jameis saying that he believes he can start anywhere in the league, and he was inspired to prove that. He was out there for less than two minutes, 48 yards, four plays, finds A.T. Perry to put the Saints up 14-0 with five minutes left in the first quarter. The Saints D would hold again, forcing a three and out. Jameis in the offense, back out again. This time the drive ends with a 36-yard Will Lutz field goal in the early second quarter. Saints now up 17 to nothing on the Super Bowl champs. But they're the Saints. You know momentum's going to start swinging. The Saints would take a 17-7 lead into halftime. Rookie quarterback Jake Hayner, he's going to come out and he's going to play the entire second half. And uh, it took some time, but he finally started to understand the rhythm of pro football, and he would start to get things going a little late. But not before the Chiefs' backups would go on to score 17 unanswered points on three consecutive second-half drives to go up 24-17 with 6-17 left to play. This is when Jake Hayner finally started to come into his own. Got comfy, led the Saints on a six-play, 76-yard drive that took only two minutes and two seconds off the clock and ended with a two-yard touchdown pass to Ellis Merriweather. Saints trail 24-23. But it's preseason. You're not playing for overtime. You want to see what your team can do. So, of course, you go for two. And of course, because you're the Saints, you botch the snap and have an offensive penalty. Try no good. Saints trail by one with 120 left to play. No onside kick. This is a thing we'll probably get into later on because of the new kickoff rule in effect this year. If a receiver calls fair catch on a kick anywhere within the first 25 yards, it's viewed as a touchback and the offensive possession starts on the 25. So you're going to see a lot more deep squib kicks this season. And that's exactly what the Saints did. No onside kick. They squib it deep. The Chiefs would take over right near their 20. Just run the clock out, right? 
Well, for whatever reason, on third down, the Chiefs opt for a check down screen pass and reserve defensive end Kyle Phillips comes up with a big interception. Saints get the ball on the Chiefs 22-yard line in the final minute of the game. Four plays later, Saints backup kicker Blake Groupie and what a day that kid had. Not just for kicking a game winner, but we'll get into that later in the show as well. He hits a 31-yard game winner in the final second. Saints pull off an unlikely 26-24 win. And I say unlikely because I don't think the game ends like that in the regular season. But Donald, I got to tell you, from being in there, the fans' reaction, you would have thought that the Saints just beat the Chiefs for the Super Bowl. It was bananas. Absolutely. An amazing scene in what at that point was nearly an empty Superdome as everyone left after the two-point try. It was really a unique take to be able to see that first-time kicker go out there and really get to enjoy that moment, all to just be reminded very quickly that he is indeed a first-time NFL kicker. So, you know, it's funny that you bring it up, talking about the empty dome towards the end of the game. Um, Looking into some of my takeaways, there's one thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, And it's funny that you bring this up. And this is the first thing on my list of takeaways to knock down. Odyssey, who is the the broadcast umbrella company uh, for WWL Radio, the, uh, the sports New Orleans Saints radio network, right? They posted something on Facebook that I saw the other day, and it wasn't a thing that I believe that they governed, just a headline that they saw and passed. They posted the results of a survey last week that said the New Orleans Saints fans, the fans, were among some of the least loyal in the NFL, charting a huge dip in support over the last couple of years. According to ESPN, and this is something, you know, being the Saints PA announcer, I'm there in the Dome with them on Sundays. I got a chance to actually see this with my eyes. ESPN reported the Saints had a 96% attendance rate on Sunday. 70,028 fans out of a potential 73,000 capacity were there, most of them in black and gold. Chiefs Nation did have some, some supporters showing up. But for a preseason game, the first preseason game of the season, knowing the expectations were not going to be big, you got to think it's just to get that first look at Jamal Williams, Derek Carr, Chris Olave. Was Mike Thomas going to play? He didn't. Um, But those big names, what was the Saints offense going to look like? I got to tell you, man, I thought they looked pretty good. I agree. That first team performance going up against the Chiefs ones, it was discussed throughout the entire broadcast. I was over at the uh, DraftKings Sportsbook there in Lake Charles on a way home from a trip. You know, you see the black and gold throughout the entire state of Louisiana. Everyone was there for that first team drive. They were all cheering. Everyone was already in full football season mode. Because what you have with Derek Carr is a renewed hope that there is a potential to get some of that Breeze Payton offense magic back into the dome this season. A real chance with Michael Thomas playing healthy, it appears, after his first preseason game. Olave coming in with a sophomore year, all the lessons learned in year one. The Saints offense is going to be absolutely jam-packed. Now, some of the main questions are, will that O-line actually stay healthy enough throughout the season to be able to lift the team into the playoff race as they're in a very weak NFC South this year? So we're going to get into where I think the Saints are going to end later. But talking about the uh, the offense, especially Derek Carr in the first string, I, you could not have been more right. Um, I think it was kind of funny. Everybody has this 
kind of floating expectation with the Saints. When Drew Brees was there, you expected greatness. You expected double-digit win seasons often or 9-7 and seven during a 16-game season. At the least, you were always in playoff contention. Then, you know, after Drew retires, we hope to have those same expectations. It's hard to have those expectations met. You start to temper those expectations. And I, what I thought was telling... The first two plays of the game on offense for the Saints. The kickoff return, penalty. Take them back 10 yards from the 30 to the 20. The, the next play, the first offensive play from scrimmage, Derek Carr looks for an underneath pass to Chris Olave. Just couldn't make it happen. Right off the hands of Chris Olave. But as soon as that was over, as soon as it was over, Derek Carr would go seven. Uh, he would go six for seven after that for 70 yards, one tutty, no picks, no sacks, a quarterback rating 140.6 in that one drive. Derek Carr looked good. Absolutely. Elite quarterback performance with the wide receiver core that's been established. You didn't even get to call out a lot of the big names that we're going to expect this season, like a Rashid Shahid or, you know, any of these other, you know, wide receivers you got to see some from at perry which was a great performance i think he really overstepped what some of the upcoming expectations for him going into the season were what ultimately is going to be just a major aspect that just i think a lot of saints fans are going to feel comfortable in this year is that now we cannot have to worry about that offensive liability that's been plaguing every game. You're wondering, are we going to get even 20 points up on the board today? Are we going to get maybe you know, a chance to be able to mount a late game drive with all the quarterback struggles, be it Jameis going down inadvertently, obviously with his injuries, you know, playing your four-string quarterback in certain games. It really was an offensive dry spell. And now with this Saints team being loaded, with the defense coming back with all the superpowers that it has, you obviously saw Cam Jordan ready to go in midseason form. It's going to be a great opportunity for this Saints team to rekindle their absolute ability to be the kings of the NFC South. You talked about the quarterback struggles, and that is a great point. We have had some real quarterback struggles over the past uh, couple of seasons. It's been hard to keep our quarterbacks healthy. We've had to go real deep in. We had that battle between Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. You had Trevor Simeon. You had Ian Book. Uh, a lot of crazy things happen. Now you have a one-two punch in Derek Carr and Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, like I mentioned, says he thinks he can start anywhere in the NFL. Could he? Yeah, absolutely. I think he could. Would he be a Pat Mahomes? Would he be a Joe Burrow? Would he take a team to a Super Bowl? Too early to say. But he had a he had a good, a very good statistical showing uh, Sunday in the Dome. He did kind of Jameis a little bit. What I mean by that is he always seems to come out really, really strong. And then whether he loses a little steam or the defense starts to figure him out or whatever, he kind of fizzles out a little bit and, and kind of tapers off. He went 11 for 13, 92 yards, one touchdown, no picks. He was the only Saints quarterback of the three who played to get sacked. He got sacked three times for 28 yards, lost. Finished with a quarterback rating of 121.8, which is not bad. It's not bad at all. So while I think everybody's very excited to have Derek Carr's QB1 under center, I don't think there is a lot of worry should something happen and Jameis has to come in for a little while. Absolutely. I mean, if you're asking me, you know, the Saints had the opportunity to bring Jameis back. Would it rather be that or, you know, you're starting, a, I guess, year three now, Ian Book. 
one of these rookies that have been brought in throughout time, or you have Taysom there as a you know ultimate emergency Swiss Army knife quarterback. I think having Jameis, a legitimate five thousand yard passer in the NFL, able to go at any time is a complete safety net for the Saints. Should Derek Carr, you know, we hope not go down for a game or two here or there. We know that we still have a Heisman Trophy level, a absolute just strong, competent NFL quarterback, some would debate that point, at the helm, ready to go, should the Saints need him. You said a name that did not get said at all Sunday in the Dome, and it's a name that a lot of people have been concerned with in the offseason. Taysom Hill. He's a tight end, right? Or is he? All I'm going to say is this. From a fan's perspective, as a guy who just happened to be in the Dome watching all the player warm-ups, couldn't help but notice he did throw a couple passes with the quarterbacks. I think if you think we're not going to see a lot of same old, same old with Taysom Hill, you will be sadly mistaken this season. I can't say that as someone in the know, because I don't. One guy's opinion, I think we're going to see Taysom exactly the way you expect to see Taysom play this season. Exactly. I wouldn't go out rushing to have him start in your tight end spot on your fantasy team this year. However, do know that I do believe he's going to be a critical part of this Saints offense. Will he need to lead it like he has in years past, being Alvin Kamara's essentially second in command as Michael Thomas has been out? I don't believe so. He'll definitely have the ability to mix in with some other now returning faces, Jimmy Graham, other uh, veterans on the team you know we will see if some of these veterans get out of camp with the way how things are going a lot of cuts are going to come along the way we see that we have an absolutely loaded running back room Saints picking up another running back an LSU favorite it's going to be quite interesting to see what Dennis Allen does with these next two games coming up if you guys are enjoying the show as much as we enjoy making it we want to make sure that you guys become a part of each weekly episode of Boots to Balls on the Boot Sports Network. You can watch previous or current live stream episodes of Boots to Balls on our YouTube channel. Catch audio replays weekly on OMG Omega Sound Radio, available on Apple Music, TuneIn, and all Alexa-enabled devices. And be a part of the show by joining our Boot Sports Network Discord server, where you can ask us anything, and maybe, maybe we'll answer it. Uh, keep those eyes peeled for some quick kicks from Boots to Balls on all your favorite social media platforms. It's all part of the Boot Sports Network. Subscribe and follow now so we can outkick coverage together. That's right. And we'd also like to thank our friends over at Cypress Coast Brewing here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, out on Government Street. They have been an amazing help to us getting started here at the Boots to Balls overall both show and the Boot Sports Network. And we'd like to introduce you to some of the things that they have coming up over at the brewery. First of all, they're going to be bringing out some of your local favorites here if you're in the Baton Rouge area, like the Holy Goats, the Wheat Caroline, and dropping this Friday a very special version of Bikini Bottom. A bigger, bolder, and more intense overall beer. Stop by this Friday night and find out for yourself. Don't forget, trivia on Thursdays, if any of you like to go out and play, bring your friends, bring your family, everyone's welcome there over at Cypress Coast. And follow them on social media. They have giveaways. They have limited edition glass releases for those beers. Bring those home. Create a, collect, create a collection. Excuse me. 
And don't forget, it's all over there on Government Street, right next to Government Taco, some of your favorites over here. We're out here off of Government Street recording the Boots to Balls podcast, and we appreciate if you stop by and support our friends. Now, to transition into some other friends, our boys down on the boot. You go out there every single week. It's Saturday morning. You can feel college football. We're now two weeks away. Brian Kelly is going to start year two with a LSU team ranked fifth in the nation. An absolute juggernaut is on hand in Baton Rouge. Is the SEC now absolutely going to run through Baton Rouge? Is Alabama finally cast to the side? This is what we're going to have to figure out as a team, as a state. Can this stigma that's been around us, LSU's now two for two with the boys in red in the past four years. I believe that we are now ready to see this team go in as some of you have seen a favorite to win this conference, especially the Western division in its last iteration. Dave, what are your thoughts as we're going into this college football season? We're still a few weeks out, but what have you seen and what's caught your eye so far? So I'll tell you what, I got to tell you, I'm excited to see LSU in the top five of the AP 25. I think very much deserved. I do have some question marks for some other schools that are in the top five. You asked the question, are we ready to take on our arch rival, the Alabama Crimson Tide? Now remind me, where did they fall in the top 25? They fell at number four, and by quite a few votes, might I add, in both coaches and AP. I'm sorry. Remind me, last season, how did that game go? I believe there was an earthquake in Baton Rouge, and uh, the Tigers won 32-1 to in Death Valley. Yeah, it was, it was not quite the Garthquake, but there were some rumblings on the Richter, as far as I recall. And that's one of the question marks I have on the AP Top 25. Um, how, how do you take a team that lost to LSU, that didn't play in the uh, divisional championship and put them ahead of LSU. Now, maybe, just maybe, they're seeing some things on the uh, the uh, the Alabama field in the offseason that they believe will uh, will will push them a little bit further than LSU. I got to tell you, while everyone had high expectations for Brian Kelly last year, I don't think people set those expectations high enough. He came in and he exceeded those expectations, had a fantastic first year with a team that wasn't really his and was able to do amazing things, challenge the Georgia Bulldogs, and they were an absolute juggernaut last season for the divisional championship. I believe it's going to be tough to go through Georgia throughout the entire SEC again. Uh, LSU, I think, I think Alabama and LSU should have been switched. I think LSU should have been four. I think Alabama should be five. And I think Saban and his boys, um, they need to worry about that date on the calendar. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been looking at this and I've been really, you know, trying to find, okay, what's our angle going into the season? How are we going to set things up? We have a big game. It's Florida State. If you were at the Dome like I was last season, that was probably one of the most absolutely disjointed uh, at moments, I felt confused. I was sitting right next to the band. I didn't know if I was having just hearing uh, echoes in my head or if there was something going on. Florida State appeared to won the battle for the Dome. 
not in the game alone, but the fans. It was easily 50-50 in that stadium. LSU's got to go down there, and they have to set the tone that they're not looking to be upset by a team that is coming in in the top 10 as well. You have a top eight matchup in Camping World Stadium down there in Orlando, and I think that's where we have to take a look to one very important man. That is Jaden Daniels. He is coming into his second season here at the Tigers, and it's going to be his fifth year overall. If he cannot take this leap that he has shown the capabilities to do, the Tigers won't be staying in number five very long. He is in absolutely prime position. You can look at it from many ways. Is it the boys out in the desert in Vegas, or is it going to be your local commentators, your national commentators? Everyone is expecting to see Jaden Daniels in New York in December. It's just a matter of fact. It's what is currently the prediction. He had great stats last year. A lot of people overlooked him, I thought. I thought he came in too far down the list. He is a winner for this team. He's shown that he can lead us in the toughest games, take over, win a touchdown against, at the time, what appeared to be one of the strongest teams in the SEC in the nation in Alabama, all by himself, ran all 25 yards that first play from scrimmage in overtime. But what we need to see from Jameis, I'm sorry, Jameis, well, let's go a different direction there, uh, from Jaden, he's going to have to show that he has improved as a passer. As much as he took those steps throughout the year and he was showing that he was able to, you know, complete those long passes, he, everyone was ready to, you know, call him a running quarterback after that Florida State game, and he was just trying to get the ball to Kayshawn as much as he could because, you know, we had a lot of situations going on there. If Jaden can truly take the steps that we've seen coming out of camp, he is going to be in prime position to be a 3,000, 4,000-yard quarterback this year and put himself into that Heisman race. So let, let's talk about Jaden Daniels for a quick second. Jaden Daniels was a guy who, at the beginning of last season, nobody knew. Veritable nobody. And he made a name for himself. But... The issue with that is the name that he made for himself last season is more so on his feet, not his arms. Because how many games was he the LSU Tigers' leading rusher? More than he as a quarterback should have been, which is great. Is fantastic for everything that he was able to help the Tigers do last season. It would be great. It would be amazing for everything that he could help the Tigers do this season. But in the long run, that's not going to do Jaden Daniels any favors because the speed of the NFL is very, very different. Those guys are bigger, they're faster, they hit way harder, and they close in way quicker. He will not be a successful running quarterback. There are very few, very few who have been able to do that. And I don't know that he's on the level of a Lamar Jackson. Maybe. We'll see what he's able to do this season. I hope that he has developed that arm, like you said. I hope that he can really expand on that passing game. And I really hope that he falls in, along with everybody else, to Brian Kelly's system and shows the entire SEC and the world, for that matter, that LSU is the tiger not to be poked this season. And I'd agree with you 100% there. You look at this team, you have a lot of superpower players. You have Malik Neighbors. You have Harold Perkins coming in number four in ESPN's top 100 players this year. If the Tigers put their best foot forward and they get the production that is expected, we're going to be taking a look at this team in December, hopefully, in Atlanta with a chance to regain their glory to regain the prestige of the LSU program 
Kirby Smart has taken the SEC for himself these past two years with a lot of controversy on his end. Brian Kelly is running a clean ship up to this point. Now, as we take a look at what's going on in camp so far, we see that that may be having a little bit of an issue staying together. We had the fight break out a couple weeks ago here. We had 11 punches thrown amongst the team, much less outside of just that building. Brian Kelly needs to make sure that that building is in absolute perfect condition so that way his team can go out there and provide the absolute just precision that will be needed as he goes through this entire SEC uh, slate this fall. Taking another step here, he isn't naming captains really like LSU traditionally does. You don't see a number seven in this week's team picture. You didn't see a number 18 yet. We're two weeks out really from the game. Is LSU going to take an entirely new route is my thinking here. As Brian Kelly decided, I'm going to ditch the Miles and Ogeron eras of, you know, promoting one player to essentially lead the team and just let the team work for itself. A lot of pressure was put on Jaden Daniels at certain points last year, much less a Kayshawn Butte, who was expected to be an absolute all-American wide receiver and ends up in the sixth round. It's these types of things that I think Brian Kelly is trying to fix the internals of the building to get them ready to go for a natty. You know, there's a, there's a lot that you mentioned there that I, I definitely want to touch on. One of the things I like most about what Brian Kelly is doing this season is he and his team are staying out of the media for all the wrong reasons. Last season when he came in, he really wanted to try to endear himself to the LSU faithful, and everybody remembers him talking with the accent and doing all the, the crazy shenanigans to try to, to endear himself, and it didn't quite work. He let what he could do on the field do the talking after all that, and he realized that that's all he has to say. Let your work speak for you. And that's what he's done this offseason. Not a lot of crazy antics. Yes, you had that fight. I don't know that I'm mad at that, though. Um, it's, it's a thing that happens if it's, if it's about players being passionate and it gets out of hand. I would rather it be that than something absolutely flat. Overall, I think you definitely have to make sure that everybody understands what their role is. No one player is bigger than the team. And and to your point about not making captains, maybe that's why. Maybe all those things kind of tie in. I'm sure that there is a laundry list of things, good and bad, that are happening uh, on the field in the offseason, in the weight rooms, in the locker rooms that we're not seeing. And maybe those things are contributing to Brian Kelly's decision-making. Or maybe he just wants it to be about the team as a whole and not create an environment where there's potential for internal jealousy. One mad because another is getting all the attention and, and those kinds of things can chip away at teamwork and camaraderie. I don't think that that is going to be a big deal. I think if you're Brian Kelly, you're looking at this season, you've got two big wrongs that you want to write. The first wrong that you want to write is an opportunity to redo game one. You've got Florida state. And this time, you talked about the traveling last time uh, where it was kind of 50-50. You had a lot of Florida folks coming in. The Big Easy is a great place to go, and it's not that far away for Florida State, which also means not that far away for us. We need to go and drink Florida dry. The whole state is what we need to do. We need to show up, and we need to support our Tigers, and we need to be the ones to win. The other right he needs to wrong 
is winning that SEC championship. LSU is not going to make it to the national championship game if they can't get past Georgia. They're going to see them again. Mark my words. Oh, absolutely. That's what's going to be so important. And as we go into our next segment here, I want to shout out Omega Sound and Entertainment and OMG, Omega Sound Radio, a proud part of the Boot Sports Network. And they are proud to introduce Omega Sound Mobile Podcasting. Nowadays, everyone has something to say, but not everyone has a way to say it. Not anymore. With all the gear and experience you'll need, recording, editing, producing, even publishing, audio and or video, whatever level of help you need, they're happy to provide. Omega Sound Mobile Podcasting is available now. For more information, visit omegasounddjs.com or call 985-503-3357. That's 985-503-3357. Wake up, y'all. Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish would like to give you $10,000. Not kidding. Family Promise is an organization that provides shelter, help, and hope for families on the North Shore They can't do it alone. So for only $25 from now until December 15th, you can buy tickets for their fourth annual Family Promise Raffle. Starting November 1st, they're going to draw for amazing daily prizes and all daily winners will remain eligible for the $10,000 grand prize drawing on December 15th. The more tickets you have, the better your odds. So get yours now at F. Pstp.org. That's F P S T P short for Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish dot org. Donald, between the Saints game this past weekend, Saints game coming up next weekend, looking down the pipe at LSU, there's a lot to talk about. There are a lot of things that we didn't even get a chance to talk about. One of the other question marks I had in the AP top 25. Tulane. History, for the first time in the history of the university, they start the preseason on the AP Top 25. It's always, you know, a chagrin when you see those other Louisiana teams start to creep into the Top 25. You know, you want to support them as a boot liver, as somebody from Louisiana, somebody who's been here your whole life. You know, you want to reach out and you want to say, you know, go state. But at the same time, you know, the second these programs start to ascend, they're coming in the LSU's back door. And that's something that we're looking at here on the Boot Sports Network. We are going to support every Louisiana team. If they have a moment, we're going to be talking about it here. So you look at a team like Tulane. You look at a team that has, for the better part of the past two decades, been an absolute bottom feeder of whatever conference it may be, Conference USA, American, wherever they seem to end up in the conference realignment shuffle that we live in day to day. You know, if Tulane can truly capitalize on last year's miracle win in the Cotton Bowl, it will give them a chance to cement themselves as not only the leader of Louisiana's G5 teams, of the entire nation's G5 teams, currently leading the charge for that New Year's Six Bowl spot. So, last year, Tulane had two big challenge games. Ole Miss, Cincinnati. Managed to get past them all. It was an undefeated, excuse me, wasn't undefeated. It was a near undefeated season for the uh, for the Green Wave. Can they go undefeated this season? Will they have the same luck against those two big hurdles in their schedule? And here's the one that I know is going to set producer Brett off. Could we be so lucky to maybe, 
possibly find a playoff scenario where LSU and Tulane get to do it one more time? I'm not too worried about that because LSU has had the rag since 1983, and I don't think we'll be giving it up anytime soon. You know, that is the absolute fun thing about looking at Tulane's schedule. They're going to get Ole Miss over in week two, which is going to give them a chance to pick up their first and potentially of the season only top 25 win. But from there on, they have a relatively simple schedule until they hit their last game, which is going to be against UTSA this year now that you've had some of the likes of Cincinnati and Houston leave the American for the Big 12. Tulane is now relatively the front dog in that conference. If they're able to take on a UTSA who could be ranked at the time, given their past success in the last few years, and get that second or third top 25 win as we round out the season, there's no reason why if they're sitting there undefeated at the nine, the eight spot, that they couldn't backdoor into one of those potential playoff spots a very big potential we don't want to get too excited yet Tulane fans but we do want to make sure that you know that you're up for a special season if your team can perform to the expectations that are set for them it's going to be such a unique situation so much of their firepower is still on campus very rare when you see these group of five teams not have to get their roster depleted be it the transfer portal be it the draft they are sort of in a unique spot that only teams in recent memory, be it a UCF, be it a Cincinnati, have had the privilege to go through. And that American Conference has proven that it can get to the top 10 and it can hold in the top 10, be it whatever team is left there. So I think if Tulane is really going to prove themselves to be, again, the leader of not only Louisiana, but the nation's G5 teams, they're going to have to repeat their performances from last year, but double the ante. An undefeated season will be required. I don't think they're going to backdoor with any of these, you know, 10-2 and two records as they saw last year. You just have a stronger field this year, I believe, overall in the group of five. You have teams like uh, UTSA moving up from Conference USA. Speaking of Conference USA, it's been rather gutted, and the Sun Belt is always an absolute buzzsaw to get through for teams like ULL or ULM. If any of those other conferences can prove themselves and have another 11-1 team or a even undefeated team, I'd say the two-lane spot is not guaranteed in that New Year's Six Bowl, and they're going to have to prove it week in and week out. I look forward to seeing that this season. Uh, I agree with everything you said. An undefeated, se- an undefeated season going to be a requirement. Uh, let's switch for just a second. You were talking about a group of five, right? Uh, and I want to take that a different way. And I'm not talking about the group of five in college football. I'm talking about the group of five that play in the SKC. Five at a time. We're talking about the Pelicans. Uh, we're always keeping our eyes on things happening with the Pelicans. We got so excited uh, starting last season. Zion coming back. They were off to such a hot start. They were at the top of the conference. Really looked like great things were going to happen for the Pels last season. Then Zion hurts himself. Not hurts himself, but Zion gets hurt again. He's out for a vast majority of the season. Well, folks found Zion in the offseason, and he was at Saints training camp, but he wasn't sitting amongst the fans He was out running on the field, running drills. So if you're worried about what Zion's health is like, that's got to be good news. Oh, I agree. 
you know, you look at this Pelicans group this offseason, it's been a unique set of circumstances. We had a lot of news come out about Zion, which, of course, set off national media to do what they do best, which is pick apart the Pelicans. It's one of the hardest franchises to be a fan of because you're always getting picked apart from every media source. That small market mentality is what makes our Pelicans fans so great here in the state. You look at the team on the court, though. Zion is in position based off what we can see from Saints camp. No one is running outside in these Louisiana heat indexes we've been having recently for the sake of running outside. The man is. Putting, I don't want to walk to my mailbox. Oh, absolutely not. The man is putting in work. The man is ready to go. Now, it's Zion. So will we see Zion feel like Zion this fall? That's going to be left up to him. And it's something that I think that he knows is the realistic aspect to it. He knows that his time in New Orleans is going to be dependent on it if he can regain the fan base's trust. And he also has to regain his team's trust, which we've seen players like Larry Nance come out and say that there was never any doubt and the locker room is solid as ever. However, you can only miss so many games before heads start to look your direction and say, you know, we appreciate who you are. But are you helping the team? And then you look at the other aspects. You got Trey Murphy, you got Herb, and you got B.I. all out at Team USA training camp this summer. They're putting in work with Trey and Herb getting the practice with the top 12 as they're going off to the FIBA World Cup this summer. Brandon Ingram the past few games, putting up solid double-digit numbers in every game, truly showing himself to be one of the leaders as they pursue this Gold Cup here this month. This team is going to be back where they were prior to the Zion injury if things go right. They're going to be a contender in the West. Not necessarily the favorite, but they will be in the top four topic, top four of the runnings when the time comes. They're going to have to show that the work that they're putting in this offseason is matching what they did last year and that the elements that they're bringing in are going to be able to help. They're going to get those three-point shots secured up. You had that rough patch when CJ was on a cold spell, and it just got a little bit ugly there for the team, and that's sort of what sent us into that nine seed, which obviously ended in the SKC in not great terms. But we have a great opportunity this season, and I'm looking forward as they get ready for training camp here in the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you what, we do have some absolute stars on that Pelican squad. I can't wait to see if they can align this season. So – I want to bring it back to football for a second. Of course, we're going to start talking about uh, the Saints playing the Chargers this coming Sunday night. Before we get into that, uh, I am a guy who loves to find uh, the comedy, the humor in situations. And I also appreciate how sometimes uh, entertainment and media and fiction can just mirror real life. So I want to talk about a real life Rudy scenario. And of course, I'm talking about Saints backup kicker, Blake Groupie. And if you didn't know his name, I'm going to say it again. Hear it. Remember it. Blake Groupie. Here's why you need to remember that name. One, not just because he kicked the game a winner, uh, though that should be reason enough, but because he's tired of people giving him a hard time. If you haven't seen his social media on his official Twitter Sunday after the game, this is what he said. And I, and I love it. Uh, step one, get questioned walking onto the field pregame for not having credentials. Step two, hit a game winner. Step three, 
get stopped by security thinking I was a fan when trying to walk out of the player's exit. This poor guy. All right, he's the backup kicker. You've only been with the team for a cup of coffee. I get it. But if you haven't taken a look at Blake Groupie's social media, especially his Facebook page, go. And you will understand the greatness, the glory. That is the Rudy of Blake Groupie. He's a Notre Dame uh, alum. His kicker came from Notre Dame. His Facebook banner across the top of the page is him standing next on the sideline, standing next to the, the leprechaun mascot and teammates left and right. He's dead center in the photo. He is the only one whose head is in the shot. He is so short that even the mascot is taller than him. If you look at his social media posts, he legit looks like he skipped college and went to the pros straight out of high school. And, and I don't mean that as a knock to him. Bless him. He's got a baby face. He's 170 pounds soaking wet, but he's got a great leg. And he has got a great sense of humor. His first time out kicks a game winner. A lot of people, if that's the way that you're going to end your first pro game, might get a little uh, chippy on the shoulder. Not him. Great sense of humor. And I don't know, with Will Lutz being the kicker for the Saints, the kicker one, we usually don't keep a lot of kickers. Um, I think he's definitely opened a lot of eyes to people. He's got a great head on his shoulders, especially when it comes to, to social media and, and things you're going to say out in public. Blake Groupie, I think, is a name that you're going to see somewhere, whether it's New Orleans or not, for a long time to come. You know, it's a unique thing to really take a look at his story and where he aligns with everything. As much as it was a preseason game, this was sort of a Saints classic. I mean, a game-winning kick, Super Bowl champions coming into the Dome to start the year. You actually got play from the first team of the Chiefs, which was sort of, you know, you knew Patrick Mahomes might play, but the rest of them did go out there and suit up. It was quite a competitive battle. But the Saints, you know, they're the known team for the unique kickers. You had Tom Dempsey way back in the uh, day. Then you go to Morton Anderson, the Great Dane. You have these one-of-a-kind stories with all your kickers and the special teams legacy of the Saints. You look at someone like Thomas Morstead, who started for years. The man was an absolute tank, lifting 150-pound weights in the leg room like he's a starting linebacker. And then you take a look at someone like Blake Groupie. He's going out there, and, you know, he looks like he's the high school kicker. He looks it's like the truly... plate that the other kickers were, were using to work out with. Oh, absolutely. It's truly proof that, you know, just anybody – can play in the NFL if you know how to play your role. And he played his this weekend. It's like you were saying, I don't know if he's going to make the 53. It's, it's really unlikely, and we wish him the best. But he's going to have a great opportunity to go out there if he's on the practice squad, he's on the practice squad, or if he goes get picked up by another NFL franchise, he's put his name in a way that a lot of kickers never get the opportunity to, much less being at a game winner, but to have this unique social media interaction. He proves that he's a marketable product in the league, and we certainly think that he, uh, if, as long as he stays in New Orleans, has a chance to continue to gain that fandom and notoriety. If they can find a way to keep him around, I wouldn't be mad at it at all. Blake Groupie in the black and gold, they are traveling to Los Angeles this weekend. As I mentioned, Sunday night, Saints are going to be in L.A. taking on the Chargers. Not the Rams, the Chargers. Now, the Chargers took on the Rams in week one, and they slammed the Rams. Which, considering what the Rams did last season, 
maybe not the hardest thing in the world to do from a team that finished 10 and seven overall made it to the playoffs in the AFC last season. So 6.05 PM Sunday night kickoff on the NFL network saints three and a half point favorites in this one. After what you saw this past Sunday, how do you see this one going down? You know, it's going to be interesting. I think if Denon, if Dennis Allen gives us a similar run out to how this last game went, where we're going to get, you know, about 10 to 20 plays from the first team and then Jameis will lead us through the second half. I think the Saints have an absolute shoe in the bag to get this win here. I don't know how much the Chargers are looking to use Justin Herbert in this situation. He's coming off of signing a large extension. You know, they want to protect their asset going into the year where the Chargers, frankly, need to show that they belong as well as the Chiefs in that conference. The Raiders are now lost Derek Carr. There's a great void there for that wild card positioning, and they've been so close these past few years. I think they're going to really protect some of their assets, while the Saints, they need to establish the offense. You know, one game from Derek Carr is probably not going to get us where we want to be week one against the Titans. So I think the Saints are going to go out. They're going to run some of their, you know, twos a little bit longer than some other teams might at this point of the year. This new three-game preseason has showed some unique things for us, but uh, I'm going to take the Saints in this one. So uh, give me a score. Give me a prediction. I'm going to go Saints 28, Chargers 17. Okay, I like it. Here's what I think. I think that the Saints, here's what they need to work on. Penalties. First and foremost, the penalties have plagued the Saints for seasons. They have got to find discipline. They've got to settle down, whether it was a lack of discipline or just an overabundance of excitement last week. Whatever it was, put it behind you. You got to get past it. Um, so long as they give Derek Carr and whoever is going to be quarterback at various times throughout the game, so long as they can get him protection, um, I think that they are going to do uh, excellent. Jake Hayner, I hope that he has learned from his his preseason debut, figured out some of the pacing, some of the speeds. He's going to see a lot of different things from the Chargers than he saw from the Chiefs. The Chiefs played a pace with a discipline that's very unlike any other team in the league. So uh, it's, it's every game is going to be something new for rookie quarterback Jake Hayner. I'm very interested to see how it goes. I think... Saints win. I don't see it being as high scoring. I'm looking at 20 to 13. That's a fair prediction. It's a fair prediction. You know, with the offenses sort of being pulled and, you know, first teams overall as we get closer to the end of preseason, what is going to be ultimately the takeaway that I think the Saints need to find out as a final sort of uh, prediction or move out. Is Jake Hayner going to be kept on the active 53, or are they going to let him go to waivers? Because it's really coming down to the point to where you start seeing these first round of cuts coming along. Who all is going to get to stick on this roster? You know, Tamus is classified as a tight end, but is he really the tight end? Oh, sorry, Taysom. Sorry about that. Is he really the tight end or is he actually QB three Dennis Allen's probably not going to show his hand, but we know Pete Carmichael has been around long enough. We've seen enough saints offenses to know if that QB three is not going to be necessary. They'd rather bring on another skill position player or the offensive line even is in great need of some depth right now. So it'll be interesting to see how the saints takes the first round of player cuts, but I think they're going to put on a solid performance here in LA this weekend. So let me tell you what I think they're going to do with Jake Hayner. They're going to keep him around. Whether they keep him around on the 53-man roster or whether they do everything they can to keep him on the practice squad, 
uh, they're going to keep him around. We would love to see the Saints extend at Jameis. Uh, but if Jameis does get that opportunity to start somewhere, he'd be silly not to take it. Jameis is a player who's always played with a chip on his shoulder. We might need that extra quarterback, and it would be a shame to throw away a draft pick just because we already have two others. You've got to be looking towards the future. Derek Carr already 10 seasons in. Quarterbacks are playing a whole lot longer than they used to. Drew Brees, Tom Brady played for close to 20 seasons each. So we still could have a lot of time with Derek Carr if we keep him healthy, but you always got to be playing him for the future. Why draft him if you don't think you're going to keep him at a quarterback position? He's not like a lineman. He's not like a running back. He's not like a wide receiver where we have multiples of. I think he sticks around for a little while. That's about it for us. We hope that y'all are going to stick around with us. Join us back here again next week for another episode of Boots to Balls where we're going to outkick all of the local Louisiana sports coverage with another slam dunk grand slam program. I am David Storm, the PA announcer, game day host for your New Orleans Saints, joined by my broadcast partner, Donald, your favorite hometown fan who's bringing you all the lines and all the action. So y'all come back, hang out with us, and of course, follow us on all of the social media channels. Look for Boot Sports Network. Boots to balls. We will be everywhere, and we will be back soon. Can't wait to hang out with you then. Leave your comments uh, anywhere you can, whether it be in the comment section of the audio or the video where you're listening to us. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll be answering your questions next week. Until next time, bye-bye, everybody.